Oh, baby. It's Saturday, May the 4th. You know what day that is? Matthew Barnaby's birthday. I am officially, officially, I should say, 47 years old. Uh, my guest, actually, his birthday was yesterday, May 3rd. So I guess May the 4th be with you. I've always hated that and thought it was corny. Maybe because I've never seen any of the Star Wars or any sci-fi movie, per se, uh, to go along with it. But my guest's birthday was yesterday. A little bit younger than I am, but a star athlete who retired a few years ago, but one of my good friends, one of the funniest guys that I have ever met. Can't wait to introduce him in a few seconds. But uh, yeah, it's been tough. No sports to gamble on. That's tough for me. Coolbet.com. I can't wait for next week, Saturday the 9th, UFC. We will have six hours of gambling, and also this week the NFL comes out with a schedule, so it should be an awesome week of knowing where my New York Jets are going to be playing and where I will be traveling to a lot this year. So without further ado, I'd like to bring in my guest, like I said, one of the funniest guys I've ever met. He's a Canadian. Normally Canadians, we play hockey. This guy plays baseball and played it very, very well. My guest today on Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby, good friend, Major League Baseball star of 16 years, Canadian Hall of Fame, and 2013 World Champion, Ryan Dempster. Demps, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. It's, uh, it's really great to see your smiling face, um, and uh, glad to join you, man. This is great. Happy birthday. Your, your birthday was yesterday, by the way. Mine is today. I didn't know we had birthdays. Oh, back, yeah. Happy birthday. Fellow Tauruses. I knew we connected for a reason. I, I know. Tauruses. It's not, it's, not good. it's not good for the wives and girlfriends. I, I know you're newly <laughs> married of a couple of years and have a little baby, but yeah, I, I don't know if you want to be married to a Taurus. My, my girlfriend says it all the time. We're just slightly stubborn. You know, it's like we, we're always right except for when we're wrong, and we're usually right then, too. Yeah, I got stubborn, yeah. actually. Tattooed on my arm. Here, here's the shirt. I've had a couple brushes with the law in the last 20 years. So my buddies for my birthday got the shirt of all the all the mishaps I've had in my life, which is which is pretty funny. I I'd be remiss if we didn't start this interview with COVID 19, how you're dealing with it, uh, in seclusion probably with uh, with that not newborn but 18 month year old. Yeah, you know, it's it's been interesting. We uh when everything kind of started hit really hitting hard here um in Chicago, we um we packed up and headed up to Lake Geneva. Um my other three kids, mom, um my ex-wife has a house up there, so we rented a house up in Lake Geneva and we just for um hunkered down there and and it was kind of nice cuz we were out of the city and kind of let things fall into place and we were able to get outside and go hike in and play baseball and things like that. And, you know, we're back in the city now, so it's a little bit more delicate because you got a lot more people, but um, just try to figure out ways to keep my social distancing. There's no stroller. It's a backpack instead. And, uh, <laughs> away we go. And I can just maneuver around the city and, and get out, get outside the outskirts a little bit if we need to get out and run around. How, how is it there? I, I, obviously I'm, I'm in Ottawa. You're from British Columbia. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm sure you talk to people in Canada. Have you, have you, seen the differences between the two countries on how everyone's dealing? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, Canada and Canadians in a way are very, you know, it's a socialist country, so it's very much like, oh, okay, you're telling us to do this because it's for the greater good. We'll do that. 
And, uh, you know, like even yeah, I'm from Gibson's BC and in my hometown, there's zero confirmed cases yet. They're abiding by every, yeah. you know, rule and everything that there is. And, and, and because of that, you know, I think you're going to see a, an extremely small curve, but, um, when you have a big city like Chicago with, you know, just in the city alone, there's like 3 million people. So it's hard. It's not easy. And then you get nice days. Like we had a nice day the other day and it looked like a block party down the street. Sure. Everyone yeah. was six feet apart out in front of their house, but man, it was a lot of people and it's, it's a little alarming and you just have to, you know, wear your mask, um, do your part and, and be responsible. And I think if you do that, you know, inevitably you, you can't really sometimes control whether you do or don't get it. And you just try to be as safe as you can. You grew up in BC, Canadian boy. I don't know. Did you play hockey growing up, or were you a baseball player right right from the get go? It seems like it's right right of passage. It's almost a cult here to play hockey, and here you are uh, playing in the MLB for 16 years. Uh, how did that all start? Yeah, it was funny actually. So you're right. I was baseball right away. It was like playing on my parents' slow pitch team when I was four four years old. Give me a glove and go <laughs> stick me in the outfield. And then, um, I, but I loved hockey. Like I, I grew up, you know, with Howie Meeker and listening to Canucks games and, uh, you know, hockey night in Canada. I yeah. couldn't wait for that. My dad actually got me a TV for my room when I was seven years old so that I could watch hockey and he could watch whatever he wanted to watch on our TV. And I got this little TV. So, um, when I got a little bit older, I was like, mom, I want to play hockey. I want to play hockey. And, um, my brother, I had two younger brothers. And so she's like, all right. And we were on three different teams going to the rink, which was 20 plus minutes away. And my mom was going, you know, 530 in the morning back, going back and forth. And she just was like, listen, you guys can play everything and no hockey or hockey and nothing else. Cause I'm not doing all these sports. And I was like, oh, I love baseball. I love soccer at the time. I was like, all right, fine. I won't play hockey. This sucks. But um, and then I just, you know, I still love it. I still love, I play more hockey now than I did as a kid. So, um, I, I love the game of hockey so much. When did you realize you were, you were good enough? I, I was a good baseball player. I always thought I was a better baseball player growing up than I was hockey. And I realized throwing a ball with you when we went to Hawaii, that's a story we'll get into. But I remember you throwing the first ball and I catching it going, fuck, I don't know if I want to throw the ball around with this guy. Like this one hits me in the face. I'm not the best looking guy, but this this could leave some serious, serious damage. Uh, when did you realize you, you could make a living doing this? Yeah, I think, you know, I always had the dreams of wanting to do it. Um, and when I first went from Gibson's, uh, the Sunshine Coast, where I grew up, and I started taking the ferry over to Vancouver and playing. Um, and then my first year with the North Shore Twins, you know, 15 going on 16 years old, uh, I started getting letters from schools and I was like, oh, okay. So like, you know, in your mind, you're like, my pipe dream is actually realistic. Like this, you know, I'm, I'm not out there dreaming to be in the big leagues and meanwhile, I can't get anybody out. I was, I was doing well. And so I, I thought, all right, I got to work really hard. And, you know, that was kind of instilled in me at a young age um, that if you're going to play major league baseball, if you're going to play professional baseball, let alone make it to the majors, you got to work harder than all these kids in Texas and Arizona and California that are playing year round and, and get after it. And so probably 15, 16 years old was when I was like, okay, this is possible. I was going to say like, uh, I played in Dallas for a year. I played in Tampa for a little bit and it was baseball and football. And, and you could see the difference. My son is, is 22. A couple days ago, he's on the second is his birthday, but he played baseball. He played hockey. Now the hockey up here was so much better and the baseball was so much better down there. I was like, how does a kid from Canada get in the reps 
to be able to just grow as a, as a player? Just just rep times. Was it indoors during the winter? Were you taking private lessons or doing all that? Like, how 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 did you stay up and 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 be able to keep your owning your craft at a young age? Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it was inside stuff, and and I like how you said that the reps. Like that's what kids don't realize is that. Um, you know, you, you have to put in the reps like over and over and over and over the best players in the world, Albert Pools, the best hitter I ever faced, um, in my career. And, you know, maybe, maybe you could say Barry Bonds, but Albert tirelessly, like if you walked by the St. Louis Cardinals cage, he was taking batting practice. He was hitting off a tee. He was doing flips into a net. It was like, it was ridiculous. Like I always tell this story. I remember when he was leading the league in batting average home run and RBIs. Okay. So he was leading the triple crown. This was like. Uh, beginning of July and they played a night game against the Cardinals and I uh, sorry against the Braves in St. Louis. And we come in after our day game and they, they play until whatever, you know, 11 o'clock at night. And the next day I go out to throw a bullpen and who's early hitting Albert pools, the best player on the planet. And he's out there getting reps in. So you're right. Like as a kid in Canada, I knew that I needed those reps. So it was like a gymnasium taking ground balls, ground ball, ground ball, 100, 200 ground balls, hitting ripple balls, you know, playing catch. Because if you just think you're just going to roll out of bed and like, oh, I practiced as much as everybody else. Well, great, dude. You know what you're going to be the same as everybody else. You got to do more. It really is. You were drafted by Texas in the third round. The major league baseball draft is kind of the forgotten draft. Like everyone, you look at NFL, the viewership. Hockey's big for, I'd say Canadians. It's not that big in the United States, but it's big for for Canada. Did you know you were getting drafted uh, when you got drafted? Then you went to Texas. How did the draft go? And then getting drafted by Texas, I'm sure you drift. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be a Ranger. That's that's gonna be my life. Um, not how it transpired. You end up going, and you're you're most known for being a Cubby, and then obviously winning a World Series in Boston. Yeah, you know, I, I did know I was going to be drafted. Um, I wasn't sure. I, I heard stuff from, like, anywhere from, you know, even the outside possibility Expos picked 28th. So there was, like, this outside maybe I would get a, you know, somebody take a flyer in the first round because they thought maybe they couldn't get me in the second round. And then I thought second round, and it didn't happen, and I got picked early in the third round. Um, my parents were great that day. They let me have the day off school, and um, I had a couple buddies that came over the house, got the phone call, you know, I got drafted this uh, seventh pick of the third round by the Rangers. I hung up the phone and, you know, everybody's excited. And I went golfing all afternoon and uh, <laughs> up on the coast and, and had a blast. And then, um, and you're right. Like you signed with that team. It was like, oh, man, that's when I got down to uh, Florida, Port Charlotte, I had 50 Rangers t-shirts that I bought and sent home, you know, the vanity license plate. <laughs> like I'm surprised I don't have a tattoo somewhere that says Texas Rangers. Like I'm going to be there forever. <laughs> They'll never get rid of me. And then all of a sudden a year later I got traded. I'm crying my eyes out. Like what am I going to do with my necklace? You know, <laughs> So it's, it is interesting. You you realize at a young age that, you know, you just got to worry about going out there and, and playing for your team for sure, but playing for all the teams. And somebody will want you at some point. Hopefully you stick and it, and it goes well. Well, I remember in Hawaii, you did come down to the pool the one day. And it, 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 it can go along with your, your little tramp stamp you have on the base of your ass. You came down in a in, in a bikini. I, I want to get to a lot of things that you, you've done in your career and you're, 
I have Mark Bergevin, the GM of the Montreal Canadiens, is the funniest guy I ever played with. Fucking hilarious. Uh, I, I, I don't take myself too seriously. I know you don't. We'll get into more of that as we go through because there's so many things I want to want to ask you about. But play, players growing up, like I was a huge Montreal Expos fan, like a massive, massive Tim Raines and Jeff Reardon, Andre Dawson, Gary Carter. Who, who were some of your favorites growing up? <clears throat> yeah, like I, I was a big Blue Jay fan. And I love the Expos too because I could wake up every Saturday morning you know, and at 10 a, at ten a.m., there was a a French game going on, and I was like doing both. I was balancing baseball and learning my French skills, so it was pretty fun. But um, I was a big Blue Jay and a Mariner fan because the Pacific Northwest. So like, you know, guys like Griffey and Mark Langston, and um, you know, <clears throat> um, guys like I remember the whole entire Mariners team with Alvin Davis and Ray Quinones playing shortstop and Jim Presley playing third, and then the Blue Jays. You know, in the early 90s, yeah. that was my high school years. And it's like, wow, man, like winning World Series. And with, you know, even before that, with Lloyd, the Shaker, Lloyd Mosby and, and you know, George Bell and Jesse Barfield and all these guys. So, you know, a big fan of both of those teams and all the players. I could, if there was a game on, you know, it was like homework waited. Sorry, man, I'm catching it. That's just how it went. I love it. You, you go to Chicago and, and that's that that's when I met you. Um, that's where I associate you with you live in chicago now how, how was it playing at wrigley and and being a cub for all those years yeah it, it was really amazing you know um i signed here her coming off tommy john surgery and they kind of like said hey you know my only thing i wanted to be able to do was rehab with the team i didn't want to go to arizona and get lost down there i wanted to form relationships with the guys so that when i was healthy that they accepted me and i was already a part of the team and that's exactly what happened and you know, I bonded really closely with a lot of those guys, guys like Maddox and Moises Salou and, um, you know, buddies to this day like Harry Wood and Glendon Rush and these guys that we just were forever close. And um, and then, you know, you go through this whole cycle and like I had three different times to be a free agent um, in Chicago and all three times I came back. So that to me was really, really special to be able to, you know, you start to bond that friendship where it's like the organization cares about you. I respect them. I'm doing my job. And it's and then back and forth and back and forth. And even to the point where after I was traded away in 2012 to come back here as a front office executive, and, you know, I'm 15 years now with the Cubs and um, in, t- in totality. And, and it's amazing, man. Like I, I haven't I've driven I've been here 15 years. I've driven to the park 50 times. I walk almost all the time. I ride my bike. You know, I stop and have a cold beer with somebody on their stoop while they're playing beanbags. And, yeah. It's just the neighborhood feel. There's there's nothing like it um, at any ballpark anywhere because you have four streets going around the ballpark. You know, it's like the giant game of Monopoly, and it's just like bar, 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 bar. Everybody, the energy, the hum, and it's it's wicked, man. I I'm lucky I haven't had to work a day in my life, and I got to call Wrigley Field my office for nine years. It's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I I need Tommy John surgery only because masturbation <laughs> way too much so i gotta go in get a little yeah. things cleaned up and, and work on that if you have never seen a game <laughs> at wrigley field you, you gotta go it's really like you've played in two of the most iconic parks and and buildings in any sport you play there and then you go and play in front of the green monster um must be nice though be a pitcher in boston with the green monster knowing a guy's really got to hit it hard to get it out of there yeah, it was like I probably gave up about 15 homers that never got out of the ballpark. You know, they hit the top of the wall somewhere and they ended up being singles because Johnny Gomes was as good as I've ever seen playing that wall. But, yeah, you know, I was extremely lucky to leave one place um, and then the very next year uh, sign as a free agent in Boston and, and go there and go through this just 
crazy, incredible, magical season. Um, uh, you know, playing in that in that ballpark where you know people always say, "What's the difference between the two? Which one's better?" And it's like it's not fair comparing them yeah. because they're they're totally different. But um, you know, the Cubs fans, they're to me, they're the best fans. They're incredible. But they also there a lot of times they're there for the beer and the hot dogs and they're there to have a good time. Um, at Fenway, you, you better you better play hard, you better go because they're on they're on every pitch. They don't miss anything, and um, you know and we really noticed that. And then what happened with the bombing and you know everything the Boston Strong stuff and Big Poppy dropping this is our fucking city and all yeah. this kind of stuff and you know the energy that that encompassed all of it was Barney dude. It was like uh, you know 16 years in the league and and there's that season regardless of winning and then there's other seasons as far as emotionally what that was like it was like nothing i'd ever been a part of <laughs> obviously winning is is the pinnacle and, and the summit of everything it's what we dream of i never had the opportunity to win a stanley cup i wish i did everyone says do you regret it well no i don't regret it i tried as hard as i could i just was on a team good <laughs> enough to win the stanley cup or didn't have the luck to, to to be able i think a lot of things play into that winning in boston must have been incredible the parade the parties I can't imagine. I, I remember talking with you and just hearing about some of the guys that you play with, some some true characters on that team as well. Oh, man. It was like from the beginning of spring training. So when the pitchers and catchers and the position players are all there, very first day I come in like 6.30 in the morning. I see Johnny Gomes walking in. I just drop, you know, like a standard, hey, what's going on, Johnny? How you doing this morning? And he just whips around and he looks at me and goes, Another day closer to the parade, Ryan. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right, you know. And it, and then that's how they're – so that's our approach we started going with in spring training. And then all of this stuff hit and tragedy hit. And we went to dinner in Cleveland that night after flying out of Boston after the bombing. And we had everybody on the team at the Mortons there in Cleveland. Um, I think it's the only steakhouse in Cleveland. And uh, we were, sit, we're sitting there and we're, we're having a good time. And we're, you know, we're just kind of like, you know – saying like this is all right we've got an awesome responsibility here and, and an honor to be able to help rally a city back and and when we got home the energy that just like the feed and the way they fed off of us and we fed off of them and so on that uh, you know friday got canceled delayed or canceled sorry postponed and on saturday we had in our locker room and those locker rooms in boston aren't very big you had the governor, the mayor, the chief of police, the head of the Secret Service, the head of the Special Forces, Navy SEALs, police officers, paramedics, firefighters, all in our locker room. I'm getting goosebumps right now. And I remember looking over at Pedroia and Johnny and Knapp and all those guys sitting on the wall, and they're like, we can't lose. It's impossible. Look what we have behind us. And and I think that's what really, really, like, we took that on, and then mm-hmm. and then it became that way. And then Nava hits this three-run homer in the eighth, and it was like, see? And it just was just snowball. Like, yeah, good try. Like, we'd go into Baltimore three in the morning, you know, like yeah. night game, and Showalter would schedule a day game, and Pajoya's coming in the four seasons, just yelling like, "Nice try, Showalter! It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Not against the Sox." And like, we were just, we were, man, we were a freight train up the ass of the competition. It was just nonstop. Here we come. We're we're on a mission with our entire city behind us, and, and we won a World Series, and we knew we were going to win the World Series. It was crazy. How, how was that rivalry with the Yankees? I I love, I go back, I YouTube you fucking beaning fucking A-Rod, A-A-Rod. Um, 
that that that's kind of your introductory into this this team. You become a sensation. How did that come about? And uh, have you talked to him since about it? Uh, no, we've never even crossed paths. But um, he had a nice little uh, uh, interview with Barstool the other day, I guess, for a week or so, or a couple weeks past, and made some interesting comments about it. But um, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, it started when I signed with the Sox. My brother was like, "Man, you should hit a rod first time you face him at, at Fenway. You'll never, you'll never pay for a beer in Boston the rest of your life." So I was like, "That sounds like a pretty good idea." And then all this stuff started taking place and going on and all that stuff. So I was kind of, you know, like, "Oh, what do we do?" And then as it started to get worse and the situation started to get worse, I just was like, you know. I was mad. I was yeah. mad. A lot of people were mad and angry. And when you're a pitcher out on the mound and you hold a baseball, you can do some things sometimes. And, you know, I didn't throw it his head. I, you know, yeah. through the first one, I was trying to be respectful of the game itself and I'm not headhunting anybody. And, um, I thought, you know, a, a knee is a pretty good spot. Cause that'll sting a little bit. I've been hit there and then <laughs> I missed. And then, and then, you know, he goes out and says that I, I threw behind him three times. Like, come on, dude, the next two pitches were an inch, inch off the plate. Cause I thought if I'm going to, if I'm going to go behind him, I can't just throw one out over the plate now. I got to go inside because yeah. if he's swinging, you know, I got to jam him. And then I got 3-0 and I was just like, nah, I'm going to try and break that little pad that he's wearing right there. And, um, you know, I, I wish I was about 10 years younger because I didn't quite throw hard anymore. And uh, and, it, and it hit him. And, and then all the ensuing Joe Girardi comes out and I, you know, I clearly had no problem that I walked and picked up the ball and um, and, and then, you know, so be it. And and the best part about it was, you know, uh, a couple different things. It showed how one how close we were as a team because David Ortiz wanted to strangle me <laughs> for multiple reasons. A Rod's his buddy, and you know, and he's got a hit, so he's like, "No, I'm going to get hit." Like you know, <laughs> and he's like so mad at me in the dugout, and I just like, "Hey, Poppy, I got to talk to you. Let's go, man." So we go down the tunnel, and I was like, "Hey, dude." That was for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people were mad and, you know, that just, yeah. I, you're not going to get hit. Nobody's going to hit you. And he gave me a big hug and he's like, all right, okay. And so, you know, we went out there and we finished the game and then, you know, I get suspended and, you know, finished my suspension and we go to New York and I was expecting like, yeah, like just yeah. being so many reports. One, one person came up. Really? That's it. Really? One person. Yeah. Isn't that a surprise? I was yeah. shocked, you know? And the guy came up and he says, hey, ever since you hit Alex Rodriguez, you know, the Yankees have the second best record in baseball. And I was like, oh, who has the first? And he's like, well, you guys. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Great question. And I just walked away. <laughs> move on. Move on. Do you, do you wish you yeah, would have charged the mound? I fired my team up. Hey, hey, do you wish you would have charged the mound? I don't know. Uh, I thought it was more entertaining watching Joe just lose his, <laughs> his I crap out there, but... Yeah, I, I'd much, and I'd that's much, what I'll say. I, I appreciate Joe Girardi so much for that because, you know, like I don't know their relationship. I don't know any of that stuff. But like I just showed you as a manager, no matter what the situation is, no matter back. what's going on, yeah. And like, man, I went from like I like Joe Girardi to like, wow, I got a ton of respect for that just because of the fact that he stands up for his guys like that was really cool. I'd always rather be the pitcher. If, if I'm going to charge a mound, I mean, I would have been charging all the time. I would have lost. I would have been one of the smaller guys. But I, I'd want to be the pitcher, waiting for him, just stick my feet into the ground, little move, and then I don't know if you're a righty or a left, but it's a certain right. As you're charging, you, you're going to get you're going to get stung pretty good. If you, how, how many bench clearers have you been in? 
Uh, quite a few, and you're right. The pitcher, nine times out of ten, is the one going to lead that because you have somebody coming full speed and somebody standing there. It usually doesn't work out. The best one I ever saw was Kyle Farnsworth against Paul Wilson because Kyle Farnsworth was the pitcher. And for anybody who knows Farnsy, I mean, this dude, I mean, he's playing semi-pro football in Mexico. This dude's like <laughs> beyond Jack, you know? He's six six five, two hundred and forty pounds of pure muscle. And Paul Wilson yelled at him like, you know, he threw one high and tight, and Paul Wilson's bunning our pitcher, and he's like, You're lucky you're not hitting. Farns, he's like, What the hell did you say? He's like, You're you're lucky you're not effing hitting. And he's like, Oh, really? And he just Goldberg speared him, picked him up, drove him into the ground, raked him across the face, three punches before anybody can even get there. It was just like, you know, it was just like, whoa, you know. And then he gets out of the bottom of the pile, and he's, you know, Farnsworth's been in a chokehold, and he comes out smiling like you after a brawl. He's just like, ah, who's next? You know, and it was like, you're nuts. Man, I can't wait to be on your team. Hockey, we get on the road. We're there for a night. We go to dinner, few beers, maybe a bottle of wine, whatever, and we're back. We play some cards. What's it like? I, I can't imagine being a baseball player with my personality in a place for four days or three days <laughs> And and we'll get into your career and how how it how it changed from being a starting pitcher to a reliever and and the differences. But you're there for three or four days. Like if you're a starting pitcher and you're in a town for four days and you pitch on the first day of this trip, what's the next three days like? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of sewer heads in the morning i guess you know um i was i was a guy i was a guy who you know the hotel room closed on me i couldn't i didn't like to just be in there and chilling and so you know even if that was like get up and go golf first thing in the morning and you know get up and go for a run um get out on the town do something and i you know i like to go you know have a cold beer with the boys after the game so it was like you know, I always said after I got done playing, I could be a tour guide for most cities around <laughs> the U.S. <laughs> you know, you want to know a good steakhouse, you want yeah. to know a good restaurant, a great place to karaoke, whatever it is. Um, I usually I usually knew where that was at. And, um, you know, definitely played my share of golf, no doubt. Like, you know, when I became a teammate with Greg Maddox, it was like he just walked up to you and he's like, hey, 630 in the lobby tomorrow. You didn't even know where you were playing and you just showed up at some golf course that was spectacular. So. It, it was, and, and you developed friendships. You, you found, you know, relationships with people because, you know, you think about it, play nine years in Chicago, go to St. Louis three times a year for 12 games, yeah. 15, whatever games it is. You're, you're a lot of times in that city, so you start to know somebody maybe who's a restaurant owner, and you next thing you know, you're having friendships that, have, that I still have today. So it's, uh, you know, it, it is definitely a, a different lifestyle, and uh, um, but I, I enjoyed it, man. It was a lot of fun. What, what's the difference in your routine as a starting pitcher? Pitching, what is it, every five days as opposed to yeah. a reliever? What did you like better? I mean, obviously, you, you talked about loving to play golf. I don't know your handicap. I know you were low last time. I'm guessing you are very low now that uh, you're retired. But um, what's the difference in preparation and your day-to-day -day, uh, from the two positions? Yeah, so like, you know, as a reliever, you're ready to go every day for the most part, unless you've thrown like four or five days in a row, um, then you might get a day off. But so like things like workouts are post game. Um, but like I when I first became a reliever and a closer, I, I was friends with Trevor Hoffman and I just was like, Hoppy, what should I do? And he's like, I have a routine. I come in every day and I run 20 minutes and I sweat out and, you know, think about it. You're going to work out now and, and run, maybe lift after the game. But you're if it's two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm not pitching until nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. 
So I got plenty of time to rest up. So I just got in a routine of, of running and doing that kind of stuff. Um, you play catch every day. As a, as a starter, it was pitch, post game, do a sweat, flush it all out. Next day, run distance, lift my legs, throw a little bit. Next day, run poles, throw a bullpen, lift again. Next day, throw a long toss, maybe another bullpen, then run three-quarter poles, some sprint work, maybe a light lift. And then the day before, it was some sprints, run around power shag. I'd go shag like crazy. So that every time come, I was done my workouts and done my day probably by three hours before the game. And so I had way too much time to be just figuring out who I could prank or what kind (laughs) of shenanigans or BS I could pull off in the locker room that would just annoy somebody on my team. But I I loved that aspect way more. And, And, you know, being a starting pitcher and being relied on that every fifth day, it's win day. Like that's what you call when you're a good starting pitcher. It's win day. We're winning today because that guy's on the mound. That's a that's a really cool feeling to have. What did you enjoy more? What did you enjoy more? The, being a starting, starter, being a starter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know the the relieving part. Um, just it, it was tough sometimes, especially a closer. Like I was sitting a closer for the Cubs as being like a kicker for the Cowboys. Yeah, you know, you just you can kick thirty field goals in a row. He misses one, and they want a new kicker. You know, so. That's how it was closing. It's like you sit there, and I remember saving 26 straight games and then blowing a save against the, and a wind-blown home run in the basket and going out to the parking lot. And this guy's like, move back to Canada, Dempster. I'm like, wow, dude. Yeah, hey, Lou, when can I start again? Is that okay? Emotionally, I'm having a tough time right now. I'm having a tough time. Running distances, you know you, know you only have to run 90 feet, right? That's as far as you, you – nice guy, but not too right. – you're running – what are you guys, running five miles, knowing you only have to run 90 feet? It was the sweat. You know, what happened was I always ran distance. And then my first spring training, I went Port Charlotte, Florida. I saw Bobby Witt, Jeff Russell, and uh, another young pitcher for the for the Rangers. And they were in those Mizuno, like, you know, the uh, the, the pleather-looking things that just sweated up. Yeah, yeah. And they were just cruising around the field. And I said, one day I'm going to make it to the big leagues, and I'm going to do what those guys are doing right there. And I just, I, I kind of stuck to that routine and it uh, got good shape for the most part. I, I think we're very similar in the fact, we, we love to have fun. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We play a sport. We've never really worked a, a day in our our lives. Well, I worked at McDonald's when I was when I was 15, turning 16. That was that was real work. Um, but I, I, I think baseball, more than any other sport, you really need to have fun. You need, you guys play every fucking day. You, 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 you play every day, and you, you need some levity. You talked about loving to be the prankster, be that guy. Um, tell me some of, the, some of the best ones, and I'm going to get an impersonation from you later. But some, some of your best pranks, because you have so much time on your hand, too, when you're on the road. Yeah, you know, I think um, there, it is important, and I kind of always took that role on. I, I probably... Um, at times probably should have focused a little bit more on that, <laughs> uh, the serious side of it. But, um, I look at it like you're right. We play usually 162 games in about 185 days. So you're playing every day, all the time. Um, and as a starting pitcher, you know, I was responsible every fifth day, but I was also responsible those other four days to pick a guy up, make sure somebody's, you know, uh, if their head's hanging low, Hey, it's going to be all right. You know, great swing, great play you know, point out the obvious good things that they do, way to hit that, that cutoff guy so that, you know, that's part of your job. And then be a good teammate, be there out on the bench for those guys. Um, 
And then also, too, like, I watch those guys on a day-in, day-out basis have to handle the media, where I only have to do that once every fifth day. So if I see somebody that's giving one of my teammates a hard time, then I'm going to take it upon myself to maybe find some way to subliminally just throw a little something like, you know, oh, really? Like, is that from the last time when you hit with the bases loaded? You know, like, just kind of, like, let them know, like, it's it's human beings out there. The guy out of 60 feet, 6 inches, he gets paid, too. So it's it's two people competing somebody's got to lose you know and we're not carrying cancer you know it's baseball and like yeah everybody wants to do their job i'm uber competitive i wanted to win every single time but not everybody's going to do it so um i love that aspect and then you have the balance right you figure out who you can mess with on the team you know who you can't and you know and for different reasons some guys they just like their routine and they're way bigger than you and so you just stay away from them (laughs) and then there's other guys where oh he actually lives a little for that. He gets gets a little bit of that. You know, he likes to, to be poked fun of a little bit because it loosens him up, and then therefore they play a little bit better. So I was always messing around, doing whatever I could to, you know, all the way down to on the road at hotel rooms, putting leaners on guys' doors. Like, who does that in the big leagues? These guys are grown men, and I'm putting a bucket full of water on their door and then knocking on the door and running away. Like, I look back, and I'm like, man, I was just so immature, and, Thankfully, five or six years from now, I'll finally grow up. What are some of the superstitions? Because hockey, there's those guys. Some guys, like, and I was that guy. This guy, you can't, you can't fuck with. Mark Messier, I'm not fucking around with the day of a game. I'm going to pull yeah. a prank here and there. I'm going to do the leaner. I'm going to do, we're, we're going to have some fun. But there's certain guys. Who were some of the crazy guys with, like, superstitions? Were, were you superstitious? I, I wasn't. I, I put my right on before my left, but I'm more of a creature of habit than a superstition. I didn't believe if. I, I didn't get dressed a certain way that I wasn't going to play well. Uh, were you superstitious, and were there some guys that were were crazy? Yeah, I was only superstitious about a couple of things. One, I liked my I liked the chicken parmesan dinner the night before my start. Uh, that was like a thing. So I had like different places in different cities where I'd order from, and it would come there. So, um, but no, Mar Garcia Parra, like was. I mean, you want to talk? Remember the whole? You know, you do the thing with his oh, batting yeah. gloves and the batter's yeah. box. That was like. The stuff that he did behind the scenes, I used to mess with him all the time. So he'd come out in the dugout, he'd take his jet, his glove, which he'd have forever, and he'd you cannot, don't put your hand in Nomar's glove. That's like a no-no, you know, <laughs> like samurai sword's coming out, and he's chopping that thing off. And then he'd stick it in his jacket, and he'd roll it up, and then he'd sit on it, and he'd just hang out, and he'd sit there for a while. I don't know what it was. And then, and then he'd do this little routine where he'd go up the stairs, and he'd go one foot, one foot, back down, back down, one foot, one foot, two foot, back down. And it was like, and I just looked at him one day. I was like, dude, if there's ever a fire in the hotel, I am not allowed to be stuck behind you, dude. This is driving me nuts. Can you just go up the stairs or go down the stairs? Let's go. He had so many little things. I'm like, hey, do, when you go home at night and you lock your door, do you go lock, unlock, lock, unlock? What do you do? And he's like, yeah, I do. He goes, my OCD is off the charts. And so it was like, but it was all routine-based and superstition. He felt like he had to do those things. And for me, as a guy, like I said, taking those four days off, I just like popcorn on the bench and like let's watch what Nomar is going to do today. But you know, such a great, a great dude and so much fun to be around. But definitely provided for some entertainment for me. Buy, buy the fucking guy a stairmaster. <laughs> Get him up and down. Should have been his Christmas gift. Here you go. I should do that. I'll get him a little one that's at home, the little stairmaster for when you got to get out of the dugout. You know, was it you? I I can't. Remember. We're going back years. Was it you that did the outline of one of your teammates rounding third base 
as as he was going home and drew the outline almost like a dead corpse in SVU uh, on the side of the on the side of the field. Um, it was it was I, I had a hand in it. I, I did not place the the outline, but when you have a sniper take you out from row you know row sixty up in in, in section four twelve when you're rounding third base on an easy should score base hit. Um, you know, the guys are going to mess with you. That's just when you're a professional athlete and you got the agility of, you know, uh, you know, a school bus driver, then sorry, it's just going to happen. And, and that's exactly what happened. Now, those are the moments that like I miss. I, I sure totally yeah. miss competing. Great. But that stuff, man, where it's like, you know, somebody gets on the plane ride and they're wearing a checkered suit. And you're like, dude, that's nice. Is that Armani? What is that? Ponda Rook nine. You know, it's like, yeah. Those are the things that we both, I'm sure, miss and, and that everybody, when they get done playing, that people don't realize is that we're just a, frat, a traveling frat house for so much of our career. Uh, playoffs, playoffs, I miss. I, I, I miss. You got yeah. to play in the summer and all that. Playoffs, I miss. I don't miss the regular season. Obviously, I had to fight a lot and do what I did. So there was a lot of, a lot of pressures of knowing that, yeah, he might break my orbital bone, my nose, my jaw tonight. I, I don't miss those days going through. I, I miss the guys. I, I miss... I miss the locker room, miss the beers on the road. I miss the dinners, always the, the paycheck. I mean, you made over a hundred fucking million dollars. So <laughs> you're not worried about the paycheck, but um, th th those are the times that I, that I sincerely, sincerely miss. You're living in Chicago, uh, right? First and foremost, right now, uh, we just saw another episode. I'm sure you saw it. Um, if not, I'm sure you saw the first four uh, last dance. How crazy has it been? reliving uh, Michael Jordan, who's just an icon in the world, uh, but certainly in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching it again and, and realizing, hey, how much I just admired the guy. Like, I knew I did, and then you start to watch, and you're like, I remember that game, I remember that game, I remember that shot, I remember when he did that. And I'm like, you know, I, I was like the kid eating a thousand bags of potato chips so I could get the little tiny Michael Jordan card that came in the... <laughs> And I don't even know what they were. Old Dutch. Old Dutch had the little things yeah. and you could get the, you know, like that's how crazy I was about him. Sleeping out, camped out in front of Shoppers Drug Mart so we could get tickets to go watch them play the Grizzlies, which the night before I found out that he was with Chelly at the Roxy till about five in the morning. And then he goes out there and four, fourth quarter starting. And I, and I remember seeing the interaction between him and O'Fallon Harrington. The Bulls were down and apparently O'Fallon Harrington said, well, I guess not every night can be your night. And Jordan went off for 22 points in the fourth quarter and they won the game. So you just realize like how incredible this guy was. And, you know, I'm reading stuff about him. He drove me as a baseball player to want to be great or want to, you know, be able to be a big leaguer and work hard because of, you know, how, how incredible he was at his craft. It's, it's amazing. And in this city, he's, you know, in the world, he's as big as they get. And in Chicago, it's a whole other story. It's it's Michael Jordan and there's everybody else. Yeah, it, it, it's insane. I told a story last pod about the only time I went out with Dennis Rodman. Well, actually, I went out with him in Vegas a couple of years ago. But I uh, went out with Rodman in Chicago and Shelly. The only time I've went out, and I don't, I've only shit my pants once after going out to a bar. And that 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 was it. It was it was with Chelly and and Dennis Rodman. So MJ didn't make it. His boy George was along for the ride, but uh, some good time. I can't imagine that team at that time in the '90s in Chicago, as big as they were and as crazy as they were, just rock stars. Oh man, like the Beatles. Like they yeah. they were like the equivalent in the sports world of what the Beatles were like. And you see that in those videos, just like. 
how much they were mobbed and, and, you know, just the, the ability to go out and do anything was almost impossible for them, you know, without massive security and all that kind of stuff because they were. And, and I just loved how, you know, when you watch it, that um, sometimes we get so caught up in uh, what's this guy like, or this guy's like, they really just cared about, do you do your job? And then whatever, yeah. whoever you are, will accept you as long as, cause you're here to work and you're here to do a job. And if you, paint your hair pink cool or if you're quiet in the corner cool can i rely that i pass you the ball and you hit the three and i just i that's something watching this i really really admire how that's what they cared about and that's all they cared about doing your job and do your job the best you can and it goes for people out there that coach i don't care if it's baseball or basketball or hockey whatever it is don't coach every kid or person the same everyone's different Exactly. Matthew Barney, Ryan Dempster, yeah. they like to joke around. This guy's uber serious. This guy likes to go up. This guy, come do your job. You do your job. Fuck, who cares what you do? As long as, as long as you're not embarrassing the organization or as a younger kid, like, you're getting better. Everyone's different. Everyone has to be coached. And it even goes with school. Like, teach every kid differently. Find out what makes that person tick. And I thought Phil Jackson was the best at yep. it. Yeah. Oh my God. Incredible. And you know, the Zen master to doing yoga to, to like, Hey, and he laid it out early, like with Rodman, like Dennis, get off your feet or get off your butt and stand on your feet, shake my hand. Let's go. Yeah. Let's talk about this. So here's the, the chill Zen guy, Phil Jackson, asserting himself right away is the Hefe, you know, and saying, this is how it has to be. And, and you're right. Everybody responds differently. I was a kid who like, you know, you could yell at me and be like, you got to do this. You're not doing this right. It, you know, because I had the ability to filter out the wah, 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 and hear that you got to throw your breaking ball for strikes. You got to, you know, make sure you're doing this. You got to make sure you're running more, whatever it is. And the other stuff didn't bother me. I took in that. Whereas some guys, if you did that to them, you lost them. They just, they shut down and they weren't the player. You had to coddle them. And, and you know, that's the probably the one thing as I went along in my career, I realized that not everybody is the guy that you have to be a hard ass with. Yeah. Some guys, you have to be a little bit more of a pat on the butt and, and and guide them along the way. And that's okay too, because, you know, just, they're just different, different than you are. And that's what makes teams great is a bunch of different personalities coming together. Ryan, before I let you go in, in a couple of minutes, I have a few more. You've been so gracious with your time. Um, Ryan Dempster, 16 year major league baseball pitcher, 2013 world champ, made a shit fucking ton of money playing this game. And I'm happy for him. No one deserves it more than him. I knew and I've said this many a times before you even finished your career, that you would transition into broadcasting. You have such a personality for it. You're uh, intellectual. You're, you're gracious. Um, you're, you're a superstar that played that really is like the everyday fan and, and, and really gets it. Uh, just talk about your transition and doing off the mound that you do now. Um, Major League, uh, MLB Network. Uh, just talk about that transition in leaving the game but getting into the media side. Yeah, I think it was just something like, you know, I think we probably even talked about it in Hawaii. Like I, I, I knew that when I was done playing, um, you know, relationships that I had built and, and my love of the game, I didn't want to just be done. Um, and I didn't really want to go into coaching. That wasn't something I want to do. So when I first retired and MLB Network approached me about being an analyst, I was like, ah, that'd be awesome, you know, and it wasn't a ton of games. I still got to be around my kids a boatload and I got to do all that, which was really, really great. So um, and then you just you, you try to you know, you got to take it seriously. Like 
you know, I can't get up there and do a show without doing my research and talking to guys and know what's going on. Otherwise, I'm just going to come off as somebody, uh, well, when I played. Well, the game's yeah. always adapting. It's always evolving. And, you know, if you don't adapt and evolve too, then, then you're, you know, you're, the game's going to pass you by. And um, I, I miss things about when I played, but I also appreciate the, the today's player and how good they are and how talented they are. Um, so, I, and then just... Doing the analyst stuff is fun. I love baseball, but the off the mound stuff and this kind of stuff right here is what it's all about. Getting to know the person, um, you know, what people did on the field is great and I appreciate them, but who they are off the field is, is to me what's really important. And if you can relate that to people and to the fans out there that are listening, that maybe the next time somebody has a bad game or Anthony Rizzo grounds out with the bases loaded, that we have a little bit of sympathy to know that he's just a human being and not a robot. And guess what he's trying to do? He's trying to come up with a big hit. He wants to do it. He's not trying to ground out. And, you know, somebody who doesn't hustle, cool, boom. I paid money. Yeah. I pay, I pay yeah. a big, big ticket to go to a game. You're not hustling, I'm going to yeah. boo you. But as long as you're hustling, everything you got, then I got respect for that. And that's all that matters. And, and uh, just, just enjoying it all and trying to have fun with it and, and stay in the game for as long as I can. Guys that don't work at it get, get exposed uh, really quickly. You know if the guy doesn't watch a game, whether whatever sport it is. You, you know if he's just resting on his laurels that those guys do get exposed. Talk about your role also uh, with the Cubs. Yeah, well, you know, I think that was the big thing was um, coming back here uh, in 2015, uh, the winter of 2014 going into the 2015 season after a year off. Um, Theo said, hey, would you be willing to come back as a special assistant and just be you, be around the ballpark if you can. You know, we're not asking you to do anything other than that. And, uh, you know, if he has a question sometimes, you know, he'll call up and, and be like, hey, what do you think about this guy or this thing or, what you know, what do you know about this or can you help a pitcher? You know, can you go down a double lane and see this guy and, and talk to him can you you know in spring training try and you know get through to somebody we're trying to get through and 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 it's been great and I, and I think that's for me something that I'm so thankful for is um he, to, to have somebody say just be you and be around and you know I'm always like man am I around too much am I am I stepping on guys toes I you know should I get out of the locker room I don't know what to do he's yeah. like no the guys love having you around and so it's been a lot of fun and for me to learn from the best I mean this guy's the best in the business as far as compiling a team putting a roster and how an organization's run the expectations of how players should do things and nobody works harder than this guy it's tight ty- it's tiring sometimes i'm like wow dude i can never be a full-time front office executive because you are it, it's just the phone's on all the time and it's how do we get better every single day what can we do to get better um and put our team in the best position to succeed now and in the long term and I've learned so much from him. It's it's been a true, true pleasure to be, and I've been fortunate to have that position there to be able to learn that. But you have to be able to play a little bit of golf. How is the golf game right now? Yeah, yeah it's I, the, the, my swing's all right. I haven't been able to get out much, but I'm going to be getting out here now. The weather's turned, and um, yeah, I'm I'm down there, man. I'm at like just over a three is my index, so playing playing a ton and um, just chasing that. Uh, you know, that under par score and that hole in one every, every round. So I enjoy it. You know, it, for me, it takes me back to starting pitching, right? One shot at a time, one yeah. pitch at a time. And, and the competition, if you're playing against some buddies or you're just out there having fun, you know, my son's 13, I'm going to be 14 here soon. He loves playing. So it's a, it's just, it's a great, great game that, it, that, you know, I always made my dad joke, you don't play golf, you get golf. It's like a disease. It never goes away. And, 
you know, you're just constantly chasing the carrot and, and never getting there. So it's, it's great. My son's 22. I'm just trying not to become a grandparent every day. That's all I beg him <laughs> every day. Don't make me a fucking grandparent before I'm 50 years old. So I just turned 47. Please, Matthew, if you're listening, which I know you are, don't, don't, don't make, <laughs> oh my God, that's don't, hilarious. Don't make me a fucking grandparent. Um, where do you belong? Where do you belong in Chi-Town? Lost you there for a second. What, what, what course do you belong to in Chicago? Uh, I'm actually, dude, I'm not. I'm America's guest here in, in Chicago, so I, I, I play at a bunch of different places. I, I am a member at uh, at Tethro Golf Club in uh, in Bend, Oregon. So anytime, anytime you want, Barney, it's there. You just just let me know, and you go tee them up and, and just charge my member <laughs> number. I won't throw membership? it out there on the air, but I'll let you know what it is. Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago, actually, I believe in August or September, permitting this COVID-19 is, is letting up, then I'll be there. So I'll definitely take you up and we'll go out and play. I'm going oh, yeah. to uh, let you go, but I'm not going to let you go without doing a, a, a Harry Carey, one of the best I've ever seen. Um, anyone on YouTube after, um, see his visual uh, for it, but uh, give us a Harry Carey. And again, I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you're such a gracious guest, a gracious person. And uh, like I said, one of the best, and I'm glad you were able to come on today. Well, yeah, honestly, I had no idea you were going to ask me that. And and so, and this is just coincidental that I have these. And the thing about love about Harry, so these are actually Harry's real glasses. Are they really? Yeah, look at these things. Dude. Holy fuck. So, yeah, these are uh, Grant Porter who runs Harry Curry's restaurants because he knows I do impersonations yeah. and I'm doing events sometimes. So he, he had these for me. He, he had two pairs. He had his actual prescription glasses, which I cannot wear because with my eyes closed, they give me a headache. <laughs> They're so strong. And these ones are just a slightly lower prescription. My, my, I'm um, not going to lie. You know. I'm not going to lie. My, my dick would actually look the normal size with those on. <laughs> so the thing I loved about Harry was, is that Harry people, you know, there's the Will Ferrell impersonation, which mine is, is similar at times. But the thing I, I got to be around was Pat Hughes and Pat would always tell different stories. I mean, and he'd say, you know, Ryan, Pat, that Harry could tell a, a story throughout an inning while the game was going on, but not really talk about the game. So for a half inning, you know, he would just be like, I welcome everybody to the top half of the third inning here at Wrigley Field. The Cubs are up six to one as the early grand slam by Mark Grace is holding true. Uh, I, by the way, I want to say a, a special happy birthday to Stephanie Johnson, uh, Stephanie's Parents, Bill and Kathy, own a, a hardware store out there in Des Plaines, a beautiful little hardware store. You can get nuts, bolts, screws, tape measures, whatever you want. Crab ball over to Short, Dunstan over to Grace, one away. I mean, they, they put this hardware store together with their own two hands, well, four hands. The two of them built it. It's a beautiful place and a nice little awning out front. There's a cafe next door where you get a cappuccino or a, a latte. Pop up to second base. More Diddy's under it. Should be two away it is. And I also got to tell you, they are lovely people. If you ever go by their house at Christmas time, they got the most beautiful set of Christmas lights you've ever seen this side of the North Pole. Special place. I say go out to displays, check it out. Bill and Kathy's hardware store. It's a, a ground ball over to the third on the first. Three away. Come six, Dodgers one. We'll be right back after this. You are <laughs> a fucking beauty.
You are beautiful. You're a beautiful man. A beautiful man. There he is. The one, the only, Harry Carey, Ryan Dempster. Dempster, it's been way too long. Um, I promise, we got to get together when I get to Chicago. If you're ever up in the area, let me know. But uh, congratulations, amazing career, and uh, just you're the best. You're the best, man. Thanks, brother. So good to talk with you, man. Good to see you, and uh, happy you're doing this. And good luck. Keep and it, and it, golf is on me when you get here. Um, so I know a couple of places that are free ninety nine. So we'll All go right, there. Perfect. Not Butler yeah. Country Club. I know that for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, right, pal. Good to talk to you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Take care. I told you Ryan was going to be an absolute awesome guest. He's an amazing person, funny, great family guy. Uh, He's got a boatload of kids at home, Uh, four kids uh, and a young, young one. So uh, he's just awesome. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I can't wait to play some golf with Ryan when I get to Chicago in the fall. But I hope everyone enjoyed his impersonation of Harry Carey, like I said, one of the funniest guys that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Hope everyone has an awesome, awesome weekend. And uh, we've got sports coming. And the fact that CoolBet.com, I will be visiting very much this week to see how the odds are. They have by far the best bets. If you like to bet UFC, it's the only thing going on right now. Trust me, we're going to have six hours of... UFC this weekend. So go to coolbet.com, look at the odds. I will post my picks on matthewbarnaby36.com. You will be able to either mock me or just be very jealous of all the money that I'm going to make. So happy 4th of May. May the 4th be with you. Have an awesome weekend. See ya. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.